already confused some people with the book of Zirach. Zirach is the German way to say it. If you know the English, you can tell it later, They're because then you know the book. So it's a test if you know how to pronounce it. Book of Zirach, which people were already texting back to Kathy. Is that right? Isn't this a mistake? Well, <laughs> so without going into details, how are we looking at our Bible and how we actually, how the Bible came along, because those books of the Old Testament and New Testament, they were not all of a the sudden there and everybody was happy. It is a long process of discussions and dispute of the old church all the way into the Middle Ages to Luther's Reformation, that what we have today is a result of those disputes over years and years of discussions and disputes. So the book of Zirach you will find in the Catholic Bible, the Catholics have that in their canon, and the Orthodox Church has it. Luther decided, no, I don't like this book as much, and if you want to know why, I'm happy to teach a class about this because I would be away going into details. But during the Reformation, Luther decided to take some of the books out because they are not talking about Christ in his point of view. We can discuss that. So, but they are called now the Apocrypha. So if you're going into a bookstore and you want to buy a Bible for your nephew, for your granddaughter, or for yourself, and you go into the section of the Bible, there are not only different translations, but then also you see the Bible, and then sometimes you have a subtitle saying with Apocrypha. And if you buy a Bible with Apocrypha, the book of Sirah is there. Maccabees is there, Judith is there. There are all different books that we might have heard already about, but they are considered in the eye of Luther Apocrypha. And yet I decided to share this with you because I like the beginning and the end where Sirach uh, just reminds us that arrogance is hateful in the eye of the Lord. He just doesn't like arrogance. And at the end he says that pride is not in our nature and violence is not in our human nature. And that our doing oftentimes influenced by arrogance and pride because we're all guilty of it. And then we have the story that Luke tells us about Jesus when he's getting together with the Pharisees and the story we just heard has a parable in the front where he talks about, you know, a guest sitting in the, at the head of the table, you know, because they think they deserve sitting at the head of the table. And then Jesus says, well, it is very, very, you know, uh, when the host has to come to you and you're sitting at the head of the table as the honored guest and saying, but there's somebody else who deserves more honor, you know, who's more honorable than you are and I have to move you down. That's not a good feeling for the host, not a good feeling for the person that sits on top of the table, and it's not a good feeling for whoever is now placed as the honorable guest there, because it's all awkward for everybody. And Jesus says, so, and by the way, who's judging it? Why do you think, and now we are talking about the arrogance, why do you think you would sit on top? Why do you deserve to sit on top of and maybe you'll remember that. I remember that, that um, when my grandparents would invite us, there was always the adult table and then the kids' table, right? Yeah. Uh, do you remember? <laughs> I'm sure it was not only in my house. 
<laughs> and, and we were just not allowed to sit at the adult table. And as a kid, you would always look. Why am I not allowed to sit there? And the moment you turn adult, you look at the kids' table and say, I want to wish they'd sit there because it's so much more fun over there, right? <laughs> because they were allowed to joke around and color and read books. And at the adult table, you had those adult conversations that with 15 years, I had no idea really what they were talking about. Anyway, but we know that, you know, even on weddings or you celebrate birthdays and you, you, you put the who sits where is always a hassle, right? Who deserves to sit right next to this person? And then you have family conflict if you place this person to that person and you don't want that, always a hustle. And Jesus says, you know what? This whole thing, who is sitting where? It's just a hustle. And just forget it. Because if you look at this, that I deserve in my arrogance to sit on top of the table, who is there to judge that you are actually the person who is allowed to sit there? Why do you think that you deserve that? And now we have to look into our prayer practice. The title is Quid Pro Quo. Because sometimes it's this like this, that we maybe pray and think about ourselves. Lord, I did so many things, so I deserve this spot, right? because I gave so much to your cause. Or, I feel hurt in whatever ways, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Lord, you can do that. And by the way, my neighbor, you healed this person too. And this person does way less than I do for you. So if you can heal this person, you certainly can heal me. We are all guilty of those kind of thinking. Because in our love for our God, in our compassion, in our desire to help and serve, we somehow want that we get something out of it. Quit, pro, quo. Lord, I did that, now I deserve this. Lord, I deserve to sit in front of the table, and then somebody else comes. And Jesus says, who can judge that? You certainly can. And we all know those people that I'm a person who loves to help. It is easy on me. Being right there, helping. If somebody needs help, now you know, right there. That's why I'm a pastor. We love to help, right, y'all? That sometimes with our uh, job that we love to help, love to be with people and help them and be with them. So I do a lot. And now, there's maybe somebody who really does not like to help, who has absolute hesitation whatsoever, for whatever reason, to help. Because they just don't want this, they don't see the need, and it's just a hustle and inconvenient and all this. Now, there's the one person that needs help. If I reach out, what do I do? My normal business. But if this person reaches out, that's a much bigger step, right? It's the same way when Jesus tells the parable of the woman who was looking for this one coin to give, right? So if a millionaire gives $10, how much does it hurt? If somebody who lives on food stamps gives $10, the quantity is the same. The quality of giving and doing and reaching out is the difference. 
But how do I know that the one is a millionaire and the other one lives in Peking? I cannot say. It's the Lord looking into our hearts. If what we do is something that God gave me the gift and you're doing this anyways, it's your talent, so you do it. Or if somebody overcame their boundaries to push it because they maybe reached out to somebody they don't like, they are afraid of race, religion, gender, all that in the way, and they overcame it because this person needed help no matter what. Who deserves to sit on top of the table? We cannot see this, so we cannot judge it. So Jesus says, you know what, so you surround yourself with people who are, who are deserving, where you cannot get a gain back, you know? You're not inviting a rich friend hoping that they invite you back, or you invite a partner and hope that they will pass on you a contract so that you benefit from it. You invite the people where you have no gain. And that's the scripture saying. Invite the people who are outcasts, who are the lonely, who are the sick, where you don't have any gain, and bring them at the table. That's where you reach out and extend the hospitality. Because quid pro quo does not work with God. Today we are celebrating communion. And if quid pro, quid pro quo would be God's way to do and live with us, he'd say, I gave my son. What are you doing? And we only can say, we fail. Because the quid pro quo with Christ dying at the cross, we can never get even with God. If we see this as a trade, you do this for me, so I do that for you. I do this, so I deserve. You owe me. Because the cross, we owe everything, and we can never repay. But Jesus says, this is not how God works. Whenever we celebrate communion, that is really the opposite of this quid pro quo, saying, I know that you can never pay me back, and I don't want that. Because that is now how I want to have a relationship with you. We don't owe each other. We love each other. And so what I did here at the table for you <coughs> is the sign that I love you and that you don't owe me anything, that you are forgiven, and that when I invite you at the table, I invite you because I love you and not because you owe me or I owe you. That is the sign where the unconditional love really comes and takes place. And as I said already for the children, it happened in the past, we take this on for today, and we can pass this on into the future to change the future. And not with the trade agreement, you do this, so I do that. But Jesus loves me, so I love you, whoever you are, wherever because you are a child of God. And then I started thinking, maybe this table is wrong. Maybe God doesn't have a table with corners. Maybe God's table is round, and nobody sits on top or on the bottom. Maybe on God's table, we all sit in equally in a big circle, enjoying each other's company. Amen. Amen. Amen.